Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have All About Eve, starring Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, George Sanders, Celeste Holm, based on The Wisdom of Eve by Mary Orr, and screenplay and directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, the other mank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other mank. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films. Welcome to 2023 and our first cask of the brand new year. Let's just call this one, and the Oscar goes to... Dot, 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 dot. We've never done this before, and now that we're kind of steeped in award season with our current film slate, this was your brainchild of what if we like took a look at the best picture winners of certain years, and then the following we followed up with the film that maybe should have won instead of that film. So here we are in the year 1950 with the uh, best picture winner, I think six Academy Award winning, All About Eve. This was a first time watch for me. I don't know if it was for you, but... Uh, I know we're going to have a ton to talk about today, and then we'll tease out next week's film, but yeah. I think this will be a fun little cast to talk about the the Oscars in general, about awards, and just kind of about old Hollywood, and kind of how that all played out back then. The evolution of awards certainly is going to come into it, and what I really, even though it's only going to be three years, so a total of six films, how it's become a little less celebratory about ourselves, but in so doing even more celebratory about ourselves and by ourselves, I'm talking as if the Academy is you and me ourselves. Yeah. And I think this, this movie and this particular year were a great place to start because we're right in the middle of that insistence in times of Hollywood to take what might be recognized quality literature and turn it into film. Like Wuthering Heights. No one wanted to see Wuthering Heights yeah, as a movie. Yeah. No one wanted to see Little Women as a movie. This isn't quite as Pulitzer Prize worthy as that. But yeah, this is almost like a short story, I think, or something. Yeah. And it deals, I think, with a topic that is one, especially regarding women, uh, a lot of fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it brings up an interesting conversation we're trying to get into. Is it about story in 1950 or is it about the vehicle to carry the story in 1950. Yeah, sure, could be, yeah. And that that evolves through Hollywood and changes and goes away and comes back, and there's no way we'll do it in six episodes. Yeah. But it's going to come up, and this movie was a, this is your choice, yeah. 1950, this was your year, a perfect jumping off point. Yeah, and I, and I think I also picked it because I hadn't seen this movie before, so yeah. I, I'd heard a lot about All About Eve, and... Yeah, 1950, here we go. Buckle up here. Let's see what this is all about. Yep. Uh, Today we're opening up a new one. This is Wild Turkey 101. So this is their 101 proof whiskey. So this is the base level Wild Turkey, which, you know, everyone knows what that is. If you go up a couple steps, you'll find yourself at this one. And I bought this one because, you know, I read a list last year and it was bargain for under 25 kind of your best bet so this is uh, under 25 under i think it's 23 dollars to you good choice if two uh semi snobs like you and i can drink it neat under 25 that's a pretty good bottle of bourbon yeah not not yet and that's i can drink that neat for the price yeah exactly don't need to mix it we probably could mix it and then put, put it on the rocks but 
Yeah, I, probably, I, I really like it. And I think if we go up the wild turkey ladder, there might be some pretty fun stuff up there as well. Nice. Good choice. Excellent. Well, we got a ton to talk about today. Let's dive right into our flight question. Betty Davis is certainly going to be a topic that we're going to get into tonight. So I thought we would play around in that space as character traits or impersonable or impressionable players in Hollywood go. She's certainly at the top of the list. So this is not the question of who (coughs) is the most easy to impersonate in Hollywood, but it is in that space insofar as who has that affect top three characters, actors, players in Hollywood with that irrefutable, never-to-be-denied affect that the minute you hear the voice, you know who it is and the way they act. Okay, So there we go. Perfect. Talk about Betty Davis and her Betty Davis eyes later. Uh, (laughs) My number three this week, I am going with Jack Nicholson. Uh, Whether he kind of got typecast his own self or just playing that crazy guy, right? Yeah. And whether it's Christian Slater always doing his best Jack Nicholson, I think you get it, whether it's the eyes, the grin, if it's the Joker, if it's Jack Torrance, or, you know, if it's Cuckoo's Nest or Chinatown. I mean, you just, when you see Jack, I think you get it. I mean, it's just like the way he looks and his persona. I gotta tell you, I think that I th- he's like, I think a top 10 actor for me. Sure. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about Robin Williams a couple couple mm-hmm. weeks back, and I think he would definitely make my top 10. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Jack because I think he's pretty much retired at this point, probably pushing 90. Uh I was like, you know what, for a career starting out in that era that we really like with, uh, you know, Easy Rider and some of those counterculture films all through this and just slayed the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. And then carried that all the way through the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and then wrapped up in the early 2010s. Yeah. Pretty great career. Yeah. Go- going with Jack, number three. Good choice. He's a Laker guy, too, so <laughs> there you go. There's that. <laughs> great choice. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to see your dawn of classic Hollywood and really go classic here. And I'm gonna give you Mr. Humphrey Bogart at number three, uh, from, you know, um, womanizing detective to riverboat captain. What didn't he play? Uh, look, man, the voice is irreplaceable, irrefutable, unmistakable. And when he gets on the screen, it's always another version of himself. Cause you can't change that pantameter, but if you can pull off dirty looking for gold, betraying your friends to, oh, revolutionary protecting papers for anti-Nazi forces during World War II, what couldn't he play? The question with Bogey, I think a lot comes to the women that played opposite him. And he's got a stellar cast, let's be honest about it. But I think the question that comes with that is were the women stellar? And I think you can say yes. Or did he take what made them stellar and make it even bigger? I don't know. I think he found good fits because honestly, it'd be kind of hard to act against him. I mean, he's such an interesting, strange 
personality, right? Right. The way he talks, the way he presents himself. He's he's not classic good looks like a Cary Grant, right? right. And he has the acting chops. So I think it did take a very specific type of counterpart to kind of balance out the Bogart in all those great films, Ingrid Bergman and uh, Bacall. Lauren Bacall is then his soon to be wife after, after those, you know, even Hepburn to early pair-ups. Yeah, yeah. So great choice. Thanks. Speaking of Mrs. Hepburn, she's my number two. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone at some point can do, their best Catherine Hepburn impersonation. I think Kate Blanchett played her pretty good in The Aviator. Mm -hmm. uh, but from all those screwball comedy days to being uh, in league with uh, Howard Hughes, yeah, she just she she has a just larger than life personality herself as well. So uh, whether it's the hair, I, I always see her as a very tall tall woman too. Uh, but it's that voice and it's that ability to just spit fire that screwball comedy dialogue like nobody's business. I don't think anyone could, could ever do it as good as her yeah. to remember that and then to just fire it off on all cylinders. Like, I'll, I'll, I don't know too much about her background, but I'd be willing to bet she got her start in like kind of vaudevillian, you know, theater, Feels right? like it, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of those people did and it, it certainly helped out a lot of those specifically comedy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, I got to go with Catherine Hepburn. I think she still has the record, too, for most uh, Academy Awards by a female. At six, I think, right? Uh, five or six, yeah. Yeah, it's impressive. Really impressive. I'm surprised you chose her, because mm. I know you don't love screwball comedy. I don't. We both recognize it for what it is, but I don't think that's coming to anybody's, or your or mine list of comedies, genres you must see. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask. Bringing Up Baby comes on. Are you sitting down and watching, or are you changing the channel? Uh, I might change the channel on that one. I'll leave Philadelphia Story on. All right, because uh, okay. you just took the words out of my okay. mouth. All right, I'll give you that one, too. There's something, ah, there's something so, what's the word to use? Grading or monotonous about Bringing Up Baby compared to a lot of those other screwball, like... His Girl Friday's a little close. Mm -hmm. They're talking so fast in that movie. Like, the guy writing your subtitles on your DVD, he can't type them fast enough. Yeah. But, man, bringing, out ba uh, bringing up babies in a class all its own. Interesting story, I think. I, I like a, like, hijinks at a house and we're just kind of stuck here for the weekend type of thing. But I'll take Philadelphia's story over that one any day. I think where she really shines in that <clears throat> particular film, like you said, the mm -hmm. back-and-forth volleying of... of uh, dialogue in those is is impossible to do any better than she did mm -hmm. what she's also able to do in that film is play vulnerable yeah and when she gets undressed at the pool verbally by grant with the ice queen melteth man she takes that like a champ and you can tell that every word he's giving is just cutting her to the quick yeah and she takes it like a champ mm -hmm. painfully for our eyes you can see he's just destroying her yeah and that's a fine fine art Good. Yeah, nice choice. Number thank, two. Thank you. Al Pacino. What are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, it's Al Pacino. Um, I think in the later years, he's become a bit of a character of himself because he's just, as we've said, so over-emoting everything. Yeah. And I think that just comes with someone who is as physical, like his parts are physical. That's not to say that he's rum, like tumbling and jumping because he's not that, but he's so aggressive with his demonstration of body yeah. in scenes that's got to wear you out 
I feel like sometimes after I watch Serpico Dog Day, that era of Pacino, like I've just had a really, really great workout at the gym and sort of that post achy go recover kind of hour and a half afterwards, you just finished at the gym. Yeah. Because he's draining. Um, Yeah, he's a lot to take in. You still see it even in heat a little bit, even though it's starting to kind of tease that other area and scent of a woman, you're kind of starting to tease that a little bit, Mm -hmm. but there's enough in there to where when you get in there with him, he, when needed, explodes on the screen with just emotion. Yeah. And then you add the voice to it. How could you ever replace that? We uh, we did a lot of Pacino last year. We did Dog Day last year and three Godfather films. So yeah. we got a heavy dose of Pacino. One film that I don't think we ever talked about him, like kind of being good and like bringing his acting chops. And I think he's excellent in this film is Glengarry Glenn Ross. Yeah. So just add that to the just the filmography of Mr. Pacino. Mm-hmm. Great choice. Uh, my number one. Uh, kind of sticking in that same vein, but man, what what are you gonna do? It's Robert De Niro. Uh, you talking to me? Uh, his ability to just bounce from Bickle to Jake LaMotta to something like The Goodfellas, and a film that I revisited recently that I actually ended up really really liking because it was so awkward to just watch this man operate was Rupert Pupkin in The King of Comedy opposite Jerry Lewis. He's outstanding in that in that film in such an uncomfortable way, in a very Arthur Fleck, mm. just weird, uncomfortable social exchanger. Uh, but you take, yeah, Cape Fear and all the stuff, meet the parents, like you just, uh, De Niro, and and everyone can do the De Niro impression too, right? Just mm-hmm. like Pacino. Mm-hmm. His look, that, that, that mole he's got on his face, I mean, like that guy is just what I think of when I see acting, like an actor. Yeah. But the body dysmorphia to put on 250 to play fat LaMotta and then shrink down and be super lean cut to play the boxer version. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that movie will come up here in the next couple of weeks, but possibility. Yeah. He's my number one. Uh, and I think of just over the top per personas, personalities, impressions, what I think about acting. He's at the top of the list. Good choice. Yeah. I'm also sticking in the vein of Italian Americans. Mr. Marlon Brando is my number one. Um, Krypton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marlon, it's Krypton. Richard, it's um, I'm not gonna say that. It's is I'm gonna say Krypton. Yeah. That's what the card says. Love it. <laughs> you know, the the first real exposure that I had with him in a film critique kind of way was the Wild Bunch. And to go from that to Last Tango Wait, to the Wild Bunch, you mean the Wild One? The Wild One, sorry yeah. about that. Uh, you imagine no. that guy in the wild bunch with all those guys, no. but yeah, actually with- I kind of could, to be honest with you, well, you might not have survived that production, Matt <laughs> all in. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it all in yeah. and all in was sheer talent because in the latter part, I think even in the freshman, which he got nominated with Broderick over mm-hmm. that, um, alligator film. Yeah. Most of that was off the cuff. Yeah. He just stopped studying his lines. Now, some people might say that lazy and I probably would agree with them. Yeah, I would, <laughs> but it never seemed to break what the purpose of the film was trying or the message the film was trying to portray to the audience. Yeah. In a laughable, late, sort of Orson Wellesy kind of way. Oh, man, they're the same person, yeah. You want to remove the last maybe five to ten years and just stick up to that? 
it's pretty and and look, there's there's some stinkers in there too. Not everything he laid his hands on was great. Yeah. But when he really laid his hands on them, they were great. Yeah. Committed to his craft. As many impersonations as we can do about De Niro, we can do as many as Marlon Brando. And I think he had the edge that allowed him to get to a place that I like in my actors. Maybe that's why Pacino made it as well. Um, because I don't think he was afraid to get down and dirty with the character. He changed the game. I mean, he came from that whole Stanislavski school yeah. of acting where there was, you're not just reading a script and reading lines to become a character. You become the character. Yeah. And you like, there was that whole method acting thing that like. Live this emotion through something in your life that caused the same emotion. Exactly. So like Grant and Jimmy Stewart weren't doing that. They were mm -hmm. just like getting what you get. Yeah. And Brand would be like, I'm going to give you a whole lot of extra. And sometimes it was a whole big pain in the ass. But yeah, yeah I'm with you. I'd probably call the cue card reading uh, version of Brando. I'd call that pretty lazy. Yeah. But man, the guy could do it better than any other actor I could ever think of. Like him showing up to... On the set of Apocalypse Now, 100 pounds overweight, didn't read the script. This movie's already a disaster. Mm -hmm. And so now they got to like cue card up his whole scene, and he's pretty good in the movie. So yeah. there, there you have it. Yeah. I mean, if you can handle Tennessee Williams. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, Stella. Mm -hmm. And you can be the wild one and Vito Corleone. Range is certainly one of his many great talents in there. But what I what I appreciated for all of the the great things that we talk about, there's also range to try shit too. Because I'll Doctor Moreau's awful. Oh yeah, but yet he gave it a go. Yeah, the freshman letter brought. It's kind of an awful film. I mean, some people appreciate it, but it's sort of just a cheesy knockoff of The Godfather with way less stakes, and it just yes. kind of is. Yeah. I think what we're going to get into today with with this film, highlighting the character more so than what the story is. Like this is just a Brando vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um. But I, I think you're hard-pressed to find a movie that you can say, that film didn't work because he's in it. Oh, no. It's a pretty good list of six people. Yeah, pretty pretty great, yeah. Put them on the Mount Rushmore of... Italian actors? Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> not, not all of them. I don't think, maybe, I don't know if everyone was Italian or not. Yeah. Excellent list, Matt. Cheers, Cheers to you. Cheers. Let's dive right into this thing for a review breakdown of All About Eve. Nominations for the best film of 1950 are the following. All About Eve, 20th Century Fox. Born Yesterday, Columbia. Father of the Bride, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. King Solomon's Mines, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. And Sunset Boulevard, Paramount. May I have the envelope, please? I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Mr. Dallas Zemeck, of course, come to the stage to accept the award for the best motion picture of 1950, All About Eve. This picture received 14 nominations for Academy Awards this year, setting a new record. You have 14 nominations. It's a then record has been matched by only Titanic and La La Land. So pretty crazy. I was 
so glad I could find that old clip yeah. of the old Oscars. Like, awesome. Yeah, their Oscars has a YouTube page, and you can go back pretty far with some of their, their footage there. Big year, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of stuff good. A lot of really good stuff that year. I wanted to bring up, this is completely unrelated to the film we're going to be talking about today, but this mm -hmm. came to my attention, a realization, I guess. So, you know, we got Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny coming out in June, right? Yeah. How does every Indiana Jones movie start out? The mountain, yeah, right? Yeah, And if it kind of, if the, from the Paramount mountain and it fades into the story, mm -hmm. this movie ain't made by Paramount. This movie is made by Disney, Matt. Oh, wow. How are you going to start this movie? <laughs> Show the Matterhorn? <laughs> No, that's maybe crazy. fade in from the Disney castle into like some sort of like Eastern European castle or something. Interesting. I thought Interesting. About, I thought about that and I was like, my brain's gonna break. This movie's not gonna start the same way as all these other ones. Even the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull with the mm -hmm. stupid little Gopher Mountain Hill. Yeah, had it right. Yep. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, when they said Paramount Sunset Boulevard, I was like, I, I gotta tell Matt this revelation that yeah, I you're came right. Up with, so. Yeah, what? Yeah. What are they going to do? Fade in from Lucasfilm? Like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. Wow. I, okay. To, to be continued. Indeed. <laughs> hmm. All About Eve starts out in a very interesting way. And Matt, just right off the bat, I want to get your, your take on this. So we open up with the ceremony of the Sarah Snowden, Snowden? Mm -hmm. uh, Society. I guess this is grand... Uh, Theatrical Broadway award that they give to the most prestigious talent, the best actress, so to speak. So we start at this award ceremony. We're getting in super late, and we get this voiceover um, by George Sanders. Let me pull up his character's name because... Addie. Yeah, Addison. Addie, yeah, Addie Addison. Uh, Addison DeWitt. Which, when that man starts talking, the only thing I can think of is Shere Khan from The Jungle Book. Okay. Yeah. But... Really good, just interesting way to decide to introduce all the characters because he's doing it in voiceover and as he's telling the story to the audience, right? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about Eve. And we'll get into a lot about Eve. But first, let me tell you the Margot Channing and this and, and Karen, uh, all these characters. And he just goes from one to the next. And from a story perspective, a screenwriting perspective... What do you think of that as a way to kind of just lay all the cards out on the table and like, because we usually think and spend a lot of time, man, like, how do we, we got to introduce all these characters in an interesting way? Does this do it for you or is it efficient? No, I like this. It is a little bit inefficient because what you're going to get is all of the rigmarole in the introduction of Eve. But what helps to pay that off or buy that off is as we move around the gallery of important people, there are some that don't seem too thrilled to be there. His voice is one that in a narrative element can probably carry the scene for a minute and a half to two minutes with saying very little because he has such depth and, and well, he's great pipes. I don't have a better way to put it than that. The guy's got great pipes. He seems to know how to accentuate the pieces in the storytelling through narration that are really important, but not gloss over the other pieces that you also need to know. So writing the waves of his narration is going to work for me because it's akin, and this is nowhere near this type of film, but that's akin to a noir start. Mm. And oh, yeah, I'm okay with that. 
I think I'm okay with it too. Uh, especially, you know, it does get a little confusing here, especially with the men in this film. Yeah. Trying to keep track of who's who and who belongs to who because they all kind of look the same. They're yeah. all wearing the same born ass suits. Mm-hmm. So I, I do appreciate, you know, really trying to set the stage and all the players here at this very prestigious event. But then we take it back, and you know, and he would be tell it like a story because he is a storyteller. He's some critic, the theatrical critic, so he's always spinning away what he thinks of all these plays and everything. Yeah. So I think it fits pretty well too. Uh, so then we cut back. What do you? How far back do you think we go? A year? Oh, a I, couple months? How? What's the time frame of this film? I feel like it's about two to three years, but I could be wrong on that. You got to okay. figure from off the street urchin to <laughs> helper to. Affair to sleeping. Yeah. 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 So who knows? But um, you think a couple of years? That seems like a realistic time frame to me, but it could be months, like you said, if she's as fast a worker and as sociopathic as this movie never makes me believe she is. Yeah. Her grand plan and and scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, we start with Eve here. Yeah. Street urchin. Good word. As she's kind of stuck in the, the back alley here and she runs into Karen Richards, who's. You know, her husband's the one that's, you know, show running the plays, right? Yep. Uh, and she's like, oh, it's good to see you. I've noticed you before. Like, how would you like to meet Margo? And she's like, oh, I wouldn't wouldn't dream of such a thing. Like, of course I would. And then we immediately cut to Betty Davis as Margo Channing. She's really good in this movie in a very Betty Davis way, right? Yeah. Um, we'll talk a lot about her character and kind of what it means. But right off the cuff, she's like, I don't want to meet some fan. Like, I don't care. Right. Like she's the, the sad one with the sad hat and she's standing in the back for all the shows. Like, yeah, whatever. She's like, Oh, but you, you just got to meet her. So they invite her into this club and Thelma Ritter. Mm. I think of rear window, right? Misfits. <laughs> yeah. Nurse and nurse and Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart back to health. Yep. Uh, just like, you don't need to see this person. Like she's like instantly distrusting from the word go with, with Eve here. Yeah. Radar's on full alert. Yeah. And Eve runs in with this sob story talking about. Husband in war and. Yeah. So she worked at a, she was a secretary in a brewery and it sucked because probably a lot of drunks, right? A lot of people just like, you know, trying to harass you and, and as you will, uh, your husband's off fighting in the Pacific and then you, you know, go to meet him and you find out he's dead. And so the only thing you're really grasping onto with your $500 is Theta, right? Theta. And Margot, she's like really transfixed. Like she's a fanatic. Uh, this is, I mean, it's like borderline like stalker syndrome if she's following her as closely as she is, right? Yeah. It's uh, city to city. I don't miss a performance. And it's interesting watching Betty Davis because she goes from, uh, get this thing out of here to... They're all crying at the end of this story. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so I like the turn in that. Uh, I don't know Ann Baxter from a lot of films. No. Uh, but I, I, I like the way that she set the stage here. If this, I don't know, if, like when we get to the end, we'll have to talk about her grand scheme of, of things. If she had everything so meticulously planned out. But if this is just her in to get in, it's just like, I got I to gotta be acting from the word go and mm. sell it to them on this. I'm I'm, buy, I'm buying it here in this this opening scene. This is this is a good in for her. Hmm. Um I guess 
the story about the ambitious young woman that wants to climb to steal the status of the one she admires is something that generally in story I like that can be done through child rearing, whether that's like hand that rocks a cradle um, that can be done in admiration over lovers that could be, Oh, I don't know. Um, single white female or what's that Josh Hartnett film? Um, Wicker park, which is oh. fucking brilliant yeah. by the way, when no one saw it. Uh, the graduate plays in that space to a certain degree as mm-hmm. well, kind of a reverse of that. But the young climber who set their sights, aka targeted, yeah. the one she admires, I like that story. Yeah. My question that I struggle with, in the, and, and okay, I like the how else are you going to meet her? Yeah. You're going to have to slink around back alleys and in a not too off putting and creepy way, find a way into the dressing room so that maybe you get your one shot to win over the heart of Margot Channing. Yeah, this is her pitch, right? And I I like all that. Yeah. What I would, where I struggle with Ann Baxter in this or Eve is I never buy that she's as manipulative as the movie needs me to think she is. Yeah, it's really underplayed. And then it shouldn't be. And that's like, yeah. I, I really don't want another minute of this film. It's really long. Yeah, 217. <laughs> and this movie, for I, me... And I had to watch it twice. Oh, Jesse. Yeah. Oh, because we were supposed to do it last week, and I was like, I, I need to... Oh, you're... I've forgotten some of the movies, so I need to go... I need to dive in again. And I do have to tell you, Matt, I enjoyed it a little bit more this, okay. the second time. So I kind of needed to wet my feet and then just kind of fully just let it hit me again. So I think one of the things that... I really believe in individual scenes in a film is something that we've spoken about ad nauseum here. Get in late, get out early. This film is the opposite. This film was there as soon as the bar opened and it was there three hours after a last call. It yeah. never fucking yeah. leaves the bar. Yeah. These scenes are too long. So mm-hmm. in a movie that's 217 and this opening, which is the pitch and essentially the opening and inciting incident kind of all at the same time. Yeah. I'm puzzled as to why we don't get, even if it's Eve in the back of the theater, watching Margot Channing doing something that is slightly off in the viewing. Yeah. Taking voracious notes, um, twitching, uh, something that we're seeing this fan engage like in what other fandoms would do or other fans in their fandom would do. But yet there's this one piece because she just looks like, and I know it's part of the twist. If you want to say the twist in this story, yeah, this sweet young thing that's on the street, that's got this tale of woe regarding her husband and, and working in this brewery. Like I get all that, but where it's working for you, I can't say that it's working for me. And I can tell you that for most of the film, actually all the film until George Sanders finally comes in and saves what's savable in this movie for it, me. Yeah. Um, it, I kind of never buy it. Yeah. I, I think she does need to be a little more active and less passive in this role. You, you want a little more Rebecca De Mornay, like I want Stanwick. Yeah. Seeing her, I want Stanwick, seeing her kind of lay the ground. Well, Stanwick was kind of in the running for the Betty Davis part, yeah. which I, I'd be interested in seeing that. Uh, but well, here, Faye Dunaway. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be pretty interesting, but no, I know, I, I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean here. 
But I, 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 I love the idea, though. Yeah, me I too. I love it. Me too. And I, what, I guess what I like is I just, I like how just like how everyone just lets their guard down like instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margot just goes from, oh, like get this woman out of my dressing room to, oh, you can come live in my house. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I want to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah. It's a hell of a pitch mm-hmm. to get from street urchin to be my assistant. Be my, especially when you already have Thelma Ritter, who seems more than capable. Yeah. And who's on to her. Yeah. What is it, since you've seen it twice now, Yeah, what is it in that pitch, the theft of Margot's career, that you think she delivers that sways Margot to go to that extreme from, get this fucking fan out of here, I don't want this weirdo in here, I think it's to the, yeah. live with me? I think it's the admiration. I think... Vanity. Yeah. I think Betty Davis, her character Margot, at this point is already realizing the question that's going to plague her the entire film, which is, I'm getting fucking old, right? Uh, and I kind of know that my time's running out. The place she's in, I love the name of the place, it's called Aged and Wood. Yeah. <laughs> so silly. Yeah, terrible. I think she knows. And to say everything we just did about those great actors in our flight question, and if someone comes up to you and just starts peppering your ego, like the way, the, the way they does, like I, I could see her buying into it, especially if she's in this state of replacement mm-hmm. well yeah i want someone in my corner that's my fan especially if thelma ritter and me were button heads every night because we've known each other for 15 years right so i think it is admiration and that's gonna be the downfall of Margot's character because she keeps at later points in the film you're like well you know I, I wish Eve the best, right? Even though she's trying to take my man. And I, I, I can't wait to talk about that scene because he equates her pass at him as an incomplete forward pass. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So does that answer your que- uh, your question? I, 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 I think that's what I, I want to go with this. Yes, it does. And I agree with you. Which, as, as hard as I was in that opening, let me say one thing. Yeah. Or I'll say, I'll say several things but, uh, later, but one good thing here. Yeah. I think... If you buy into the theory in All About Eve that no matter what happens, men are going to have more freedom than women are, and whether that's through beauty or economic gain or artistic license, then I think the moving in of Eve to Margot's house takes on more weight. If you are aged in wood, which why you would want to be the star and that that's clearly saying your days are numbered. Who wants to watch that play? Right. Yeah. If you're in that and that's what your, your next big thing is or was it's addressing age. Yeah. It's not youthful beauty or alabaster glass. It's aged in fucking wood. Yeah. What's, what's the feet? What's the, um, the sequel to that sunbag saddlebags, sundrenched saddlebags. Yeah. She's admitting that she's getting on in age. Yeah. That has a lot to do with no children, mm-hmm. not being married, no. how much viability she's going to have in the industry, which is what has defined her. Mm-hmm. So when this young thing comes along and says, I'm young, so I'm not really from your era, and I recognize all of this greatness that you have, and I have for some time, yeah, yeah she's stroking her ego. Margot's ego being stroked in this, I think, is a suit of armor or character armor 
over what is inevitable for all women. Ultimately, as Eve states, you're going to get old and you're going to get replaceable. Meanwhile, the men are going to replace you. Yeah. Transmission goes out. They're going to get a new sports car. Yeah, trade up. And I think that's a really interesting premise, but mostly that's personal for me, not because I'm getting on any new transmission, but because I like that story. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It has a lot, it has a lot of play. Whatever industry it's set in, I think it just... It fits Hollywood so well in 1950 because a lot of actresses went through this, right? I mean, like Betty Davis herself is getting up there in years. She's not as prim and beautiful as Ingrid Bergman, who's right. going to get all of the Betty Davis parts. So, and, and they and they were contract players, remember? Yeah. Like they would sign you like an athlete. Yeah. For you're a Paramount actress, mm-hmm. and so you have all the run here. As long as it's viable for us and as long as you don't get all dried up, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at, like, let's say Monkey Business, for example. Yeah. It was a stupid film. And we'll get to Monroe here in a little while. But Grant and Monroe, even though it's not entirely Monroe's vehicle, Hollywood is okay, or if you want to even do the Misfits and go Gable and Monroe. Yeah. Hollywood is okay with aged, significantly aged man and young woman. But the flip side of that is not palatable because I don't think they ever had any desire to even want to see if the audience had an interest in that. I mean, yeah. you had, um, oh God, come on. What's the one about the young guy and the, the old, uh, that six Harold Heldenmont. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That you have on the off, off occurrence, something like that. Happens. Yeah, 18 years after this movie. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. They never like really paired that on screen to see if like, Hey, you into this. And the only time I've ever heard of, star actor in real life being told you can't quite carry a film anymore, but we still might have something for you mm-hmm. is actually Edward G. Robinson in double indemnity. Mm, yeah. So it does happen, but the movie is addressing something that happens all the time and we see it. Yeah. We see it now. Yeah. Sports. You're getting too old lady. Yeah. You have too many crows and it's bullshit. Like I think that's not fair, yeah. but it is what it is. And I'm not casting and I'm not, I'm not production director and mm. that's not, I, but I recognize it. There's a lot of meat on that bone, Jesse. Yeah. There's a lot to run with. And I think there's a lot, even if women didn't recognize it at the time when they were sitting in the theater, that strikes a nerve in the subconscious mm-hmm. that's like, fuck, this age thing's really serious. Yeah. And it's coming for all of us. Yeah. So I'm on board with all that. Yeah. Just make Eve a little bit more devious. Yeah, she needs to be a little more evil. Or give me... Better ingenue and better looking. Yeah. So give me Stanwick or give me Ingrid Bergman. Could you see Monroe in that role? Hell yes. Yeah, I wonder. The noir that she never really tried to play even in Niagara. That did like, they could have, and it's not noir, but that, yes. And she's in the film. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And that's what I find really troubling. It's not Davis. Yeah. We'll get into her too. Yeah. It's, it's Eve, man. I guess I the, the the one thing I do like that Anne Baxter bring I just I like this like angelic persona like she's doing nothing wrong, even though she's trying to break up relationships and marriages and just crazy shit later in the in the movie. But can I'm, I say I'm, me, I'm, I'm, I'm with you? I, I I I want a little more sting in her. I want a little more evil myself. I know you love Sullivan's Travels. Yeah. Don't you want? Don't I want Veronica Lake? In Veronica this movie? Lake. Yeah. Don't you want that like Veronica Lake in that film? Yeah. But sinister yeah. behind. Behind behind closed doors. Yeah, that'd make this work. Damn. Really well, yeah. It's close. Mm-hmm. And so this brings up a question. Yeah. So let's get to the, the crux of this whole cask. Yeah. 
This movie is 1950s Best Picture winner. Born Yesterday is hilarious. Yeah. I'm not going to get into the whole list of everything because with the exception of... Yeah, King Solomon's Mind. King Solomon's Mind. That's a slam dunk year. Yeah. Right here and now, Mm -hmm. does this movie win because of Davis or does this movie win because in 1950, Hollywood thought any relevant piece of literature could be turned into a story that people gave a damn about and we had to formalize our art by recognizing prose on the silver screen. I'll tell you what, I'm glad you brought this up because this needed to be discussed at some point in this cask, which is I often think the Academy to label the best picture winner that more times than not, they go with what I call the safe choice. Mm -hmm. The one that's more universally accepted, more praiseworthy, more kind of easy to digest and they don't tend to reward the darker films and the films that cover more heavy subject material. Like, well just look at like Forrest Gump and like, you know, something like Pulp Fiction. I mean, like there's no way, there's no way. There's no way. Forrest Gump is the epitome of the safe choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been doing it for so many years uh, through. So I think that's what, for me, why it won is yeah this is this is the safe this is the safe pick this is the melodramatic safe pick that has a lot of things that people can like and get behind you know you just put something into my mind here yeah forest dump for yeah forest dump. <laughs> uh i really didn't mean to do that mm. forest gump wins on anecdotal cuteness over big moments in american history yeah that's an a movie about anecdotal moments yeah. <clears throat> to trivialize and that doesn't mean that I want everything to be born on the 4th of July either. Yeah, no. But to trivialize the Vietnam War by getting shot in the ass. And I know Lieutenant Dan is a whole different story. Yeah. But And then to trivialize like the AIDS epidemic and yeah. the Cold War through fucking ping pong. Yeah, make light of it. Yeah. Is safe. palatably safe. Yeah. Okay, so if this is tackling something that is as serious as agedness and Hollywood's admission of irrelevance through that in its own industry, then I would also argue the way this plays is sort of anecdotally cute. Yeah. Because you never actually see Eve bed. What's his name? Tom, whatever, whatever the hell. Yeah. Uh, Margo's not going to no, be bill. His name's bill. Yeah. It's like how milk well, toasty cookie cutter can you get? Well, he's the one that shoots her down. Do you know what I mean? Though, like, then, but then the husband, the Karen's husband, yeah, the, doesn't. They're together, but we never see those scenes. And I know it's 1950, so you can't. But there's ways, like you show the roaring fireplace, or you like, it's it's safe. Yeah, very it's it's safe. Very safe. Like I would love to see this idea in Hitchcock's hands. I think he'd find some creative ways to go about showing more activity in the inner workings of of Eve. Like Eve would become like like Norman Bates level psycho, right? Yeah. I think it, maybe it's Mankiewicz. I mean, it's just, he's writing a very, very safe film. From a very, very safe source with the thing that I think is going to be super Oscar Beatty, and that's Davis. Yeah. So I think as our answer to this, it wins on Davis. That helps. It does. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I'm not even, I'm fine with Betty Davis, I guess. She's fine. But I, I think now Voyager's better. <laughs> I don't even think this is, I know it's going to be a bumpy night is her line. Yeah. 
But this gets to what I was also saying and, you know, poorly expressing. It never really is a bumpy night. Yeah. Is it really that bumpy? It is bumpy, but it could, it could, it can be bumpier. Okay. Yeah. There's speed bumps instead of like, you know, busted ass pothole asphalt. Yeah. Flat, like busted tires and everything. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so Marcos, yeah, brings her into the house. Be my assistant. It's all going, yeah, very, very kosher to, to start out here. She makes new drapes for her changing room. <laughs> drapes. Yeah. Yeah, she's starting small, and, she, and then she's wheedling her way in here. But then uh, Margo catches her in the mirror, right? Like, mm-hmm. with the dress, and it's like, oh, well, what's this woman doing? Is this what she wants to do? Because no one knows that this girl's an actress or aspires to be that. And she's like, oh, that's strange. So she catches her in the act, and then mm-hmm. and then this is, like, uh, to, to, to Margo's character's credit, I like that this doesn't go on for, like, an hour and a half of, yeah. like, being so naive to the ruses underneath your nose, right? Yeah. She picks on it up on it instantly, and it's right here. Eve, by chance did you place a call from me to Bill for midnight California time? Golly, I forgot to tell you. Yes, dear, you forgot all about it. Well, I was sure you'd want to, of course, being his birthday, and you've been so busy these past few days. Last night I meant to tell you before he went out with the Richards. I guess I was asleep when you got home. Yes, I guess you were. It was, it was very thoughtful of you, Eve. Mr. Sampson's birthday. I couldn't forget that. You'd never forgive me. As a matter of fact, I sent him a telegram myself. Boy, do Ann Baxter and Monroe have the same dialect coach or what? I did it myself. It's the same, isn't it? And, and I, I like it there because you, you can tell it's like, oh, there's something a little more that you, you, you sent him a telegram because you want to get it. You want to get him. Right. Yeah, so yeah. this is no go though. This is a no fly zone. And I love that Margo's like, can't trust this bitch. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so she's just like, from that moment on, then we get into this party that she has no idea she's planning that or that it's, she forgot her boyfriend's birthday. Mm-hmm. Now we're having this party, and then she's getting ready upstairs. He's been down there for almost half an hour, and he's just chatting it up with Eve. Usually he goes up there, and yeah. they get a little busy or, or whatever, but with some pre-party uh, appetizers. Mm, wow. <laughs> and she's like, no, she's, he's just down there talking, chitting it, ch- uh, chit-chatting with her. And she's like, oh, God, this. Yeah. Got to take a bitch down. And that that's where we get that's where we get this. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I distinctly remember Addison crossing you off my guest list. What are you doing here? Dear Margot, you were an unforgettable Peter Pan. You must pray it again soon. Uh, you remember Miss Caswell, don't you? I do not. How do you do? We've never met. Maybe that's why. Miss Caswell is an actress, a graduate of the Copacabana School of Dramatic Art. That's a dig, too, man. Mm-hmm. Ah. Eve. Good evening, Mr. DeWitt. I had no idea you two knew each other. This must be, at long last, our formal introduction. Until now, we've only met in passing. That's how you met me, in passing. Yes. Eve, this is an old friend of Mr. DeWitt's mother, Miss Caswell, Miss Harrington. Miss Caswell, how do you do? 
Addison, I've been wanting you to meet Eve for the longest time. It could only have been your natural timidity that kept you from mentioning it. Mm. You've heard of her great interest in the theater. Well, we have that in common. Then you two must have a long talk. I'm afraid Mr. DeWitt would find me boring before too long. You won't bore him, honey. You won't even get a chance to talk. Claudia, come here. You see that man? That's Max Fabian, the producer. Now go and do yourself some good. Why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Because that's what they are. Go and make him happy. <laughs> God, George Sanders is good, isn't he? He's got a great voice. Uh, okay, so Max Fabian, this Hollywood guy. Oh, this guy's like dying the whole movie of, of IBS yeah, yeah. or something. <laughs> he needs a bicarbonate soda. He needs yeah. Tums. I mean, this guy's in bad shape. Yeah, so He's sweating his Brendan Gleeson-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Uh and I like the line, yeah. buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy night. Maybe not like, you know, foretelling the rest of the film, but I'm getting loaded tonight. I don't care what I say. I don't care who I piss off. Yeah. But yeah, we get Marilyn Monroe from the Copacabana School of Acting. Like, she's just running around chasing tail, right? Yeah. And that's how this guy met her. So they're together, I imagine, as, to, as much as it's going to suit his needs. Oh, I think Addison is quite the... Uh, booty hound in this. Yeah. I think that guy's had um, more ass than Dr. Mr. Waltz and the Godfather. Yeah. And but he's it, had him all over the world, I tell you. Yeah. But it's a power play with him, too. Mm-hmm. He's looking for ways to climb this ladder of his lowly critic job. Yeah. And he's trying to latch onto these new starlets of who's going to take him higher and higher, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't you go talk to that man? Because I'm kind of done with you, right? <laughs> so you're done with Marilyn Monroe? Are you crazy? Yeah, really. <laughs> Uh, everybody's climbing. Yeah. And Margot seems to have ascended whatever ladder they all want. So if the lion's on top of the hill, sooner or later, somebody's come knock them off. The question is, who's going to do it? She seems to have a handle pretty much on just about everybody else's attempts to dethrone her, except for Eve, which brings up the question, is Eve's Gentle, ingenue, humble nature, disarming for Margot. If you can get to yes on that, then I think this grand plan that Eve has hatched becomes a bit more palatable. And if you can't, then I guess you have to go with, then Eve is really smart and she's able in the moment to think on her feet and angle in a way that each situation that she finds herself in perpetuates her up that ladder to another situation until she can figure out what to do in that and keep climbing, climbing, climbing. That's tough to do in film. And I think that, <coughs> excuse me, and I think Mankiewicz takes the approach too of playing pathetic with Eve more than yeah. anything because what, what Eve gets thrown at her footsteps is because everyone feels so, feels so sorry for her. Mm-hmm. Like Karen, like, oh, because... After this scene's going to play out, and da, da 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 da, and we go upstairs, and I'm like, I would love to be like her understudy. Oh, do you think she would go for that? And like Karen's just like, yeah, because I feel bad for you. Yeah, you that's, pathetic thing. Sure. Yeah, I think maybe that will be a good idea. And her other understudy's pregnant right now, so that only makes sense because you're you know living in this house too. And it has to be Karen because Davis can't do magnanimous. Yeah, she can't do pitiful or. Mercy on the pitiful. That's Davis is hard. Yeah. She's edgy. Yeah. So to have a conduit that she can use to weasel her way in there, I think speaks to 
what Mankiewicz wants to present as a sociopathic Eve. I just, I, I feel like I'm talking about it again. I just don't buy it. There's no way that she is able to outfox Margot after 40 years in the industry and being aged in wood. Yeah. There's no way. And I know ego and vanity, like you said, are are hugely important factors into yeah. what she can weaponize against Margot to get her off of the top of that throne. And I, <sighs> I just, I don't know. I see it as less them going head to head and, because we don't really see that. We don't see them going mano y mano and trying to like out shade each other, right? It's more natural progression. It's just, yeah, it's it's this weird natural, like it just kind of works out for her. Kind of happens, yeah. Yeah, because later in the in the play, she wants this role of Cora, right? It's mm-hmm. this like thing that's going to take me to the next step. And it's like, you got to convince your husband to give me that part. He's like, but he wrote it for Margo. Margo's going to play it. And then Margo just decides at dinner... I'm not going to take that part because I'm kind of done. Yeah. Oh, great. Eve can take the part. It's what she wanted anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like. That's think, safe, though. Yeah. Exa- no, you're right. It's absolutely safe. That's I, I devoid want, of conflict. I want to see mind games here. Right. I like the way it plays out, but sure. I want more active and less passive just, oh, happenstance. Okay. So, I think that's. So, I think we're both right and wrong. <laughs> so, no, yeah. Yeah. So, of how it's kind of playing out. So, it's interesting. I just think the. To be called the best of a year. Sure, yeah. And again, this is a rabbit hole we don't nearly have time to go down. And that's why we're doing this cast Mm -hmm. to sort of explore this. Up against that slate, there are some years where I'd be like, did it matter? They were all trash. Yeah. Pretty much anything since there will be blood. Um, Which didn't win either. Nope, yeah. But not going to be on the show. Yeah. Up against that slate of films... And again, you know, we want safe and palatable for everyone to see and appreciate Davis and all of the things that we've already decoded. These are little minute things that I think best picture has to figure. I don't know if safe works. What I mean is that scene at the table. And I know you're not a fan of dinner table talks. Yeah. But that could be loaded if if Margot's slightly drunk, if Eve is in a dress that's a little bit more plunging. If all of those things regarding that Cora part are a bit more calculated, it's more rife with the basic content or the basic premise of story, which is conflict. So yes, we're right. And yes, we're wrong. And this wouldn't have ever even come up. If we were doing a Betty Davis cask, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Yeah. And this would be in that cask. Yeah. It would have to be. You would you'd have to do it. Yeah. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? And I'd probably make you watch Now Voyager. Yeah, that, that one's good. But it isn't. It's a cast that's premise is... How do you get to best? How do you dis- dissect what they qualified as best picture that year? And that's an impossible question to answer, but we're going to try. And it's very subjective, right? I mean, it's, Super, it's yeah. the whole thing that is like, I, my personal opinion is I, I don't think they've gotten the best picture right, you know, ever for, yeah, maybe ever. Yeah. Because the films I like never get nominated for best picture, right. especially since I like a lot of horror films. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. So sad, right. but yeah, no, it's an interesting uh, thing to try try and dissect here, but I li- just man, Betty Davis getting loaded in this scene, and I love that Bill's just like, I don't like you like this. Yeah, I'm tired of all these jealousy games, and you thinking I'm talking to this woman, and you thinking about this, and someone's trying to steal your job. Like he's like privy to it too, and he's gonna call her out here in this next scene. 
So Eve becomes the understudy. She beats out Marilyn Monroe. She can't act Eve. Mm-hmm. And what I really do like about this audition scene is Betty Davis is like two hours late to it. So yeah. she it shows she don't give a shit about time because she has, you know, clout. And what seems to be coming home from a three martini lunch too. Yeah. And she has to hear mm-hmm. how this woman gave the performance of a lifetime. lifetime. And it's just like, now I think it's sinking into Margot. Oh my God. I think this woman wants to be an actress oh. and she's actually really good at it too. Yeah. Uh, I like that her husband calls her out a little bit here, too. And Oh, when he puts her down on the bed? Uh, that's the clip I have. Oh, beautiful. A waiter. And that isn't a waiter. Oh, never mind. It's not that one. It's this one. The playwright doesn't make the performance, and it doesn't just happen, and this one didn't. Full of fire and music and whatnot. Carefully rehearsed, I have no doubt. Full of those Bill Sampson touches. I am sick and tired of these paranoiac outbursts. Paranoiac? I didn't know Eve Harrington was your understudy until half past two this afternoon. Tell that to Dr. Freud along with the rest of it. No, I'll tell it to you. For the last time, I'll tell it to you. Because you've got to stop hurting yourself and me and the two of us by these paranoiac tantrums. Oh, that word again. I don't even know what it means. Well, it's about time you found out. I love you. I love you. Ha! You're a beautiful and an intelligent woman. A body with a voice. A beautiful and an intelligent woman and a great actress. A great actress at the peak of her career. You have every reason for happiness. Except happiness. Every reason. But due to some strange, uncontrollable, unconscious drive, you permit the slightest action of a kid like... A kid. Of a kid like Eve to turn you into an hysterical, screaming harpy. Now, once and for all, stop it. Fire and music, buddy. Bill's a pretty good guy, Mm because he's trying to stand up for his woman, and he's trying to say, I want you to stop this, because it's all in your head. Kind of not, though. <laughs> it's all really happening behind the scenes. Yeah. But he's behind her the whole the whole way. He just wants, he's tired of all these things because he's like, I don't want this in my life. And if you're going to keep acting like this, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And Matter of fact, I'm out now for a little while. Yeah, he actually takes out and he's he's just out of the picture for a bit. I, 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 I like his character. And then I like when he comes back when shit really hits the fan. So now we get, you know, this scene with, Eve's big night and she gives the performance it's amazing Addison's there and everyone's raving about how great it is and so Bill comes backstage and in that very Marilyn Monroe pantameter right she tries to roll on him and it was like what do you mean Bill like he, he like he come back or this and so she tried to put the moves on him and this guy shoots her down hard so fast mm-hmm. like I said equates it to an incomplete forward pass yeah. That's so funny. And she's just stunned. She's just like, I just got shot down like that. And Addison's like watching from like the shadows, right? And he sees that as his opportunity to pounce. Yeah. Wounded prey, right? What do you think about that? How that all plays out? I mean, it, it affirms Bill's character of like, I, I, what does he say? He's like, I don't want it coming after me. I choose who I want to be when I want and when I want it, right? And it's just like, and they're like, I don't want you. <laughs> I think there's an interesting play here because if this movie is about the issues that women suffer with agedness and like how men have more freedom, Mm -hmm. then what you get is in this like seven minutes, a snapshot of Eve versus Margot and age versus beauty and all of these things in play. But the flip of age and beauty is I think moral erectness versus moral decrepitude. And in Addison's case, as he's watching from the shadows, 
seeing Bill do what you should do, you get a snapshot into one of the quandaries I think this movie poses about males. And that's in this world where women are climbers and will do anything they possibly can to get ahead. The only thing that separates you from good and bad is the ability to do the right thing, which we could argue is the safe choice for this movie to make. Sure, yeah. But Addison is going to continue to exist in the shadows clandestinely on the wrong side of the tracks, and Bill is going to continue to have this thriving, vibrant career in the world of stage plays. Yeah. And so there's a couple of really interesting comments being made there, and I'll give Mankiewicz credit if, in fact, that's the way that he did not spend any time on the casting calendar would have you yeah. with anybody, and we'll see about that. Yeah. But I like that. That's a this this actually is my favorite part of the movie. This I lost the part. Eve is really good. Eve's trying to roll on my man, even after he just dumped me. Even that part where he smashes Margot down into the bed is pretty loaded. Yeah. Um I like all this. Yeah. And I love that George Sanders in such a George Sanders way. I, I have a question for you about George Sanders. Mm-hmm. Is he better in this or is he better in Rebecca? I don't know. He's really good in Rebecca. He, yeah. he might be a little bit better in this, though. Okay. Yeah. It's a tough question. Yeah. He's a really good Shere Khan. Really great Shere It's the voice, right? I mean, that guy should have been in cartoons he like should've. for years, not just that one. Uh, no, I really like it, too, and I like how George or uh, Addison sees this as his, okay, this is my in now, wounded prey. Let me go butter up her ego. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of onto her, right? Mm-hmm. He's kind of like, oh, where did you grow up? Mm-hmm. What did you do? What was your husband's last name? What was the name of that theater? Oh, he's to her like water. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so then he's waiting. And I love his moment too, because then like, then he's got her like at that point too. Yeah. When it's convenient for him and when he finds out, because I think he wants the romance behind it, but then he also wants the power play. Like he wants both. And, man, all these characters are really screwed up right now. If you think about it, though, that's consistent with him, right? If you're the film critic, yeah, you make your career writing the coattails on the art that those you're covering produce. So whatever article or review you just gave on whatever show you just saw is only as relevant as... People care about the players who were in it. If he's covering some off, 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 off Broadway show, no one's going to give a damn about what he writes. But if he can get in and get to the inner machinations of what Margot Channing is going through versus what Eve is going through in this, and it's salacious, then he's writing the coattails of the players to a position of relevance. Yeah. And that's also what he's going to try to do or does with Eve, he's yeah. going to ride her mm-hmm. to position of relevance, yeah. and I mean it. Yeah, yeah. So that's consistent. That's well done. Yeah, no, I think it works very well. And so what he ends up doing is he writes a. She says, "I'm not worthy of a paragraph, much less a whole spread on me." So he writes a spread on her mm. from her own words, mm-hmm. and and she goes off like yeah. she just goes off on Margot, saying like this old hag and like we need to get rid of the old hags in the theater and like bring in the new blood. So Margot reads this. She's really distraught by it. Her friend, best friend, Karen, we got to talk about her in just a second too, Mm because how she fits in this whole thing is pretty freaking crazy too. Uh, And then she's 
like breaking down in tears. Like she's been thrown through the mud by this young harpy. And there's Bill. Bill's here, baby. <laughs> Bill's here, baby. Yeah. Good guy, man. I mean, like I, 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 I gotta say, like he pushed Steadfast. away fast. He pushed away the advances, and then he's there for his woman when she needs him. And they're they're getting now. They're gonna get married. Mm-hmm. And his woman's a mess. And forget blood tests. We're just gonna go to the courthouse. Damn right. <laughs> that is crazy, man. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. go get blood tests before you get married. It's crazy. Yeah. So, no, th- th- this is all really interesting. Uh, let's talk about Karen. Karen Richards is her best friend. I don't think she's an actress. Uh, she's just married to the director of these stage plays. And she's in a weird position, too, because she's kind of just relegated to housewife, right? Mm-hmm. And socialite when she's out and about. And she's very kind and friendly and welcoming to all these people. But later in the film here, when Eve makes the moves on her husband, mm-hmm. I mean, what's her place going to be in the world without him right yeah i got she got i got nothing here all i do is i stay in the house all day and she's the most i don't want milk toast isn't the right word but she's the most sympathetic of all the characters because she really tries to see them at their human level until they totally like screw her right yeah i think she's also the most ignorant of all the characters yeah naive yeah beyond naive yeah beyond uh redeemable traits can't see anything about true values of what people are doing other than the good naturedness of everyone, which kind of, that's also honestly, Jesse, that's kind of lazy too. Yeah. Everybody's just good. Yeah. Bullshit. That's just lazy. Yeah. Cue card boy. Yeah. They're, they're able to crypt on cue card boy. <laughs> yeah. They're able to get under her skin really easily because they go out to dinner. We tell her right now we're getting married. And then she says, I don't want to play Cora. You know what? I don't even know if I want to act anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy with Bill. Oh, look, there's Addison and Eve, like, oh, like, mm. and then Eve sends her a letter at the table saying, hey, come to the bathroom or the powder room. It's a whole area. I really need to talk to you. I ain't going to talk to you. I'll send Karen. And Karen's ready to go and kind of lay into her for the first time. And Eve's like, I didn't mean to say it got all twisted around. And and then Karen's just like, oh, you poor child. You. Journalists do that. Yeah. You can't trust daddy, dear. And it's not until... And you can't trust daddy. Exactly. And it's not until she's like, I want the part of Cora where she's like, well, wait a minute. Well, you want this part, but my best friend wants this part. My husband's writing it for her. They've for been her. talking about it for years. Mm-hmm. And you want this part. And she's like, no, you give it to me. Uh, I think that's the moment for Karen when she's like, I don't know about this girl anymore. I don't know about Eve mm-hmm. anymore. But... We just learned from uh, Margaret herself. I don't even want to play that part. So, they, again, it just kind of fell right into her lap, right? Right. The first time we see, and I, I, want, to play the, I want to play the little clip here. Uh, let me play it first, and then I'll mention what I was going to say. Cora is my part. You've got to tell Lloyd it's for me. I don't think anything in the world would make me say that. Edison wants me to play it over my dead body. That won't be necessary. Edison knows how Margot happened to miss that performance. How I happened to know she'd miss it in time to call him and notify every paper in town. It's quite a story. Edison could make quite a thing of it. Imagine how snide and vicious he could get and still tell nothing but the truth. I had a time persuading him. Hmm. You better sit down. You look a bit wobbly. If I play Cora, Addison will never tell what happened, in or out of print. A simple exchange of favors. 
I'm so happy I can do something for you at long last. Your friendship with Margot. Your deep, close friendship. What would happen to it, do you think, if she knew the cheap trick you'd played on her for my benefit? You and Lloyd. How long, even in the theater, before people forgot what happened and trusted you again? No. It'd be so much easier for everyone concerned if I were to play Cora. So much better theater, too. Eve revealed finally. We we need like ten of these scenes, right? Like her this, her the, doing nefarious things. Is this the only time for you in the whole film? This is the only time for me in the whole film. Well, there's two. There's the one after this is when she has her landlord call. Oh yeah, that one. Their house, and then they do like a high five. And it's like, yeah, you got him over here for me because she gets it pretty good from Sanders in about thirty minutes from yeah. where you are right now. Yeah. But we need like ten of those scenes, right. right? Of her just like, I am the puppet master and I'm controlling everything. That's blackmail. That's sex. That's yeah. power. That's um, that's that's all the traits we need or I need yeah. that she hasn't given me yet. I'm telling you, Hitchcock would he would have been a better director for this film. We oh would see, we would see all of those scenes. Hitchcock and Stanwick in this? Yeah. Versus Betty Davis. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. That's I love that. Yeah. That'd be great. And yeah, but yeah, it's, it's a power. It's another power play. Cause look, what does Eve have in her back? She has the power of the press in her back pocket. Addison oh. will write a piece that'll kill Margot's career. Kill it. Yeah. And is her best friend. Are you gonna let that happen to her? And now that you aren't going to let this happen to her, I have shit on you too. You're trapped. This is what's going to happen. And I'm going to take your man. <laughs> and I'm going to take your man. Yeah. Good for Eve finally doing something. It's just a little, yeah, it's just, it's just, we're yeah, deep, 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 yeah, deep, deep in the film. Hour and 50 into this thing. Yeah, we're about, this is the, I'd probably end of the second act. Well, let's get to the scene you're talking about because kind of right after that, you know, she's doing this play. She's great at it. She has the heights of fame and fortune. I got to tell you, there was one that made me chuckle. Her and Addison are walking on the sidewalk. And for whatever reason, they decided to do rear projection for that one scene. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So silly. Just shoot on the street. You're just, you're there anyway. Yeah. There must have... Maybe the film stock burnt up and they just... We got to do it in the studio today. We can't go back to New York. Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they go back up to, to the room here. And how does he say it, Matt? Like, he says, like, he, there'll never be another one like you. The qualities of a killer. A what? A champion. <laughs> like... He kind of tries to reverse it because he, he's he's telling her every she's telling him everything. And he's like, you are just such a manipulative little person. And you're screwing over every person in your way to get to the top. Get in bed with me. Yeah. And because it's it's this moment where he says, I am going to marry uh, Lloyd Richards. He's going to get divorced from Karen and he's going to write plays for me for years, and we're just going to ride that wave of success for forever. And I think Addison's like, okay, now you, you screwed me. Now I'm revealing the truth, right? Yep. And he just lets her have it. Mm -hmm. You want me to play the clip? I do. Okay. <laughs> Answer my question. Weren't you paid to get out of town? <laughs> there was no Eddie, no pilot. You've never been married. That was not only a lie, it was an insult to dead heroes and the women who loved them. 
San Francisco has no Schubert Theater. You've never been to San Francisco. That was a stupid lie, easy to expose, not worthy of you. I had to get in to meet Margot. I had to say something, be somebody, make her like me. And she did like you. She helped and trusted you. You paid her back by trying to take Bill away. That's not true. I was there. I saw you and heard you through the dressing room door. You used my name and column to blackmail Karen into getting you the part of Cora, and you lied to me about it. No, no, no! I had lunch with Karen not three hours ago, as always with women who try to find out things she told more than she learnt. <laughs> now, do you want to change your story about Lloyd beating at your door the other night? Please, please. That I should want you at all suddenly strikes me as the height of improbability. But that in itself is probably the reason. You're an improbable person, Eve, and so am I. We have that in common. Also a contempt for humanity, an inability to love and be loved. Insatiable ambition. He's got her. Got her. Yeah. And what is the like the verbiage I think he uses is like you belong to me. Because mm-hmm. again, power of the press. We're together until one of us drops dead now. Yeah. And if you try and get out of this, I ruin you. And you go back to being a brewery secretary. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I, I like this. I like this all this 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 turn this turn and all the like like the reversal recognition of all these characters finding out about all their lies and deceit. It's playing it's playing pretty well here two hours into the movie. <laughs> I brought yeah. I brought this up because I brought Rebecca up earlier because yeah. this scene is right out of Rebecca. Mm-hmm. This is the George Sanders reveal to the second Mrs. DeWinter yeah. about Maximilian there and all of the things that went on with the first Mrs. DeWinter. I think he's a little more wicked in that. I think he's a little more um, manipulative in this one. Yeah. But in either case, we've done some lists of villains on this show. Yeah. How we've missed George Sanders is criminal. Well, that's Shere Khan, yeah. Criminal. Yeah. He needs to be included. Yeah. Um, for a guy that I don't think had a stellar career, he had a career, no doubt, and he's in some things. Yeah. But it's this kind of part. But there's there's teeth in this kind of part. Yeah. Um, And he's good. And I love that he finally gives it to Eve. The problem is... I don't know if I've ever, like we know at this point that Eve's climbing and manipulating and stepping over people and doing a lot of wickedness. Yeah, He is far more wicked than she's been in this film in this moment. And I think in some ways it kind of steals the movie for me. Yeah, He comes in and sort of takes the movie for me as who the chief antagonist was. Yeah, It was a great scene. It's, great scene. Yeah, it's, it's really well, I think it's well written. I like the line he says. You didn't have a husband named Eddie. That was an insult to the men and the service women who serve in World War their dead husbands. Yeah, exactly. Like, you just like... I like it when he said, what a stupid lie even for you. Yeah, exactly. Just really calls her out. But, like, now these two are like... Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're here. Inseparable. And if you try and get out, you're screwed. So, at the end of the day, he kind of gets whatever he wants. Whatever. Yeah, her. Yeah. And power. Sex, power... Uh, social status ladder. And a contempt for humanity. Exactly. I guess they can share that together. 
crazy. Oh, it's just like, I, I do really like that. I do too. Uh, so then we cut back to the beginning of the film where she's getting this prestigious honor and she gives this really just, overwrought bullshit. Oh, yeah, this, this speech. Yeah. Pukeville. I'm going to Hollywood, but if you want me back, I will be back. And I will always belong to the theater. Yeah. I think Pete. all these people, and I love their reactions from the audience are just, they're just, they may as well be doing this. <laughs> middle finger. Yeah. Man, the Hayes Code would probably have a problem with that though, right? <laughs> they probably would, yeah. No middle fingers allowed, but you could just see it, man. Betty Davis is fuming. Karen is just like, bring it. Like, let's go outside and finish this Eve. And then she steps off the podium, r- raucous applause. And Betty Davis gives her the best line. It was like, you don't need the award. Like, he's like, you can put it where your heart's supposed to be or something. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. Whether she wanted to call these people friends, I think there was kind of a friendly, like, cohort posse that these people were putting together where everyone at one point was liked each other, right? Mm-hmm. But that's all gone. Yeah. They hate her. And she has no one, no, no one from that area anymore. You see how so, people are so, trapped, though, too, in this, right? Is that we, why she goes to Hollywood? Yeah. Well, I burned my play bridge. Done. Yeah. But Margot can't say anything because if she burns down the industry, she burns down her playhouse. And then she's got nothing. So all of these people are trapped at this award ceremony, having to keep this terrible secret that essentially was derived by Eve, by hook or crook. And all they're really left with is the ability to stew in the wicked hatred for the woman who's now leaving the industry for Hollywood anyway. Yeah. And so as much as they're middle fingering her, well, she's kind of giving it back to them. Yeah. Like you may hate me, but thanks. I'm out of here. And you're going to have to sit in this because where are you going to go with the story? And what does it look like if you do? Cause Addison is salacious enough to where he'll write whatever trash he can to get more eyes on. Yeah. And that blows this up. And how Margot, who, I mean, Davis can do a lot of things, but one of them is play bitchy really well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So to her credit, and we haven't really done anything on Davis, so let's do her for a minute. To be understated, and although that line is wicked, you can put that piece of hardware where your heart should be, is a terrible thing to tell someone. It is pretty tame, by all means, and what I would expect Betty Davis to say when she's full Betty Davis. I like that because the stage queen that has been idolatrized, is that a word? Monumentally recognized across the industry as one of the titans. Yeah. Is going to come out and say, this is so fucked. You all know what you did? Yeah. And then she burns down her own credibility. So again, the relevance that she has in this industry that's controlled by men is right there front and center. And if she tells the truth, it's all for naught. And what dying embers of, of wood beauty she has left go up like wood well i really like that scene we kind of glossed over it because there's a lot going on in this film i really like the scene too of them in the broken down car where she kind of comes to the realization Mm -hmm. this is it for me i'm 40 whatever 40 yeah (laughs) exactly uh my time's come i'll pave the way for the young blood in this cold, freezing, broken-down car in the middle of nowhere? That's kind of tragic, man. I mean, yeah. like... Yeah, it is. You're right. Coming to that conclusion at that point, mm-hmm. and then being, like you said, stuck with this horrible secret, because I got I can't do anything with this information. Right. People hear how this industry really works, and they're going to go, this is a bunch of crapola. Yeah. You're not talented. It's about who you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And isn't it? Yeah. So... <laughs> 
one of these, I can't remember who, but someone's throwing a big party and Eve wants no part of it because she's sick to her stomach on like, I think she it's caught up to her too of just like, man, like guilt. Feel really gross about all of this. I just want to go to bed. And Addison's like, I wouldn't miss this party for the world. So he's going to go get loaded, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so she goes back up to her place and there's this teenager mm-hmm. student just taking a nap in, in her couch. And she's like, hey, who, who are you? Oh, I just, I snake in here. I came here to just kind of check things out, how, see how you lived. The maid left the door open. You can search me. I didn't steal anything. I just really admire you. So you see the cycle, right? Yep. And Eve is just like, whatever. But the audience is just like, well, this is just going to happen again with this person. And especially when Addison brings the award back and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm Phoebe. And trying she, on the dress in the mirror. And you see just like, how up on a pedestal that makes them feel right mm-hmm. that they now that they have their foot in the door with fandom i kind of like the ending of this thing because it's just it's a growth cycle that will never end until the end of time right well and addison's rolling on her immediately oh yeah yeah you can tell he's into her quicker than you can say boo mm-hmm. yeah eve doesn't realize what's happening yeah. she's been relevant for about a month or does it does she not is she not or does she just is she just accepting it because she knows goes. This, yeah. is, this is what I did. Maybe it's a good question. Yeah. But you can tell her days are number two. Yeah. Yeah. She'll go to Hollywood and then, yeah, then it's, it's, it's curtains at that point. I think a pretty decent ending. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, it's a little dark, but it still has this kind of like bow on it, like kind of happy ending as well. It still feels safe, mm-hmm. but I kind of like where they were leading at too. Yeah. But I'm with you. I need like I need like 30 minutes of this thing trimmed up a little bit. Yeah. A little more efficient. But yeah, this was this was a huge hit when it came out. Uh yeah, I'll mention the 14 nominations, a then record. Only brought six of those. It's the only film to have all uh four females nominated. Mm-hmm. Davis, Baxter, Ritter, and uh Celeste Holm. Mm-hmm. Delma Ritter's in three scenes. She get an Oscar nom. Dude, the 1950s were crazy. Yeah. They would never do that today. Like you have to like be a prominent presence in that film, I think, to even get a nomination. But like that happened to a lot of actors. Like that person was nominated. That, that they were that was like a scene they were in. Uh, but I do like Thelma Ritter. So and George Sanders, I think he was he won. I think he won. For supporting. This. Uh, yeah, I think he won for this. Rightly so. I mean, yeah. he has great great villain turn for for him in this thing. Uh, but we'll get to the verdict in a little bit. But or probably next week. What's your favorite tasting note of All About Eve? George Sanders undressing her there. That bit that she played the sound. Him pulling the wool up and letting the great and powerful Oz be revealed to everybody. Because it's him. Um, I don't think she's particularly great. She's doing about what I would expect her to do when her cover's been blown. There's nothing landmark or monumental about that, but it's his abject, pointed destruction or else. And he's good in that. That yeah. scene to me is the best in the film. Yours? I think, yeah, on the second rewatch, I think it was that uh, broken down car scene that, that I really paid attention to. And they were spending a weekend together and she had already had it out with her uh, director mm-hmm. over that audition and acting. And so they were on good, weren't on good terms. It's already awkward. They had a great exchange in the car where... She's like, what time is it? It was 840, 8.42. Uh, it'll be 8.43 in a minute. <laughs> like, like, don't ask me again. 
Uh, and so the car breaks down. He's trying to figure it out so that she won't miss her flight. And that's when she just breaks down to her best friend. and just like, I think I'm done. Mm-hmm. In the middle of nowhere in this freezing cold tundra, like just, man, like I felt really bad for her character. And you have this manipulative person just breathing down her neck at that point. I thought that was a really good scene yeah, of, of the film. Mm-hmm. What's your... Probably Mom. when Bill takes Margot and tosses her on the bed. That's a big thing to do in film in 1950. We talk about the Hayes Code. Mm-hmm. That's pushing the envelope, man, because there's a lot of implications that just go with that, whether they are real or not. But then for him to say what he said, and it's almost as sharp as what Grant says to Hepburn and the Ice Queen Melteth in, in Philadelphia story, but it comes from a different place. Grant to Hepburn in the Philadelphia story is, I'm destroying you. This is... I'm trying to protect you from yourself. He does it in a really loving way, but to hold her down as you mount her and basically talk some sense to her in bed, yeah. man, that's fucking genius. I'll yeah. give Mankiewicz credit because he could have done that in a lot of different ways, but yeah. to do it like that, I'll give him big props. Yeah, That's really, really loaded stuff. Yeah, That's not so safe. Yeah, for what they could do in 50, right? And we talked about this movie might suffer from being safe. That's not safe. Yeah. Pushing it just a little bit, more a lot. I'd like to see what Hitchcock would have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now bring in the birds. Yeah. Bring in the birds. Uh, great, great, great option. What's yours? Um, I think I got to pick when Bill shoots down Eve mm. in the dressing room. Because it's just so cold, man. It's, it's a burn check on Eve. Like, you need to, like, uh, you just got, you got burned hard. Yeah. You got equated to a football play. As your attempt at romance. Like, that's very sad and pathetic, but uh, I think it says a lot about Bill's character. It says a lot about how manipulative I think Eve is. And, man, I just wish we had, like, 10, 15 scenes of Eve doing stuff like that because that's what we needed. Interesting that Bill came up in both of these for us. Yeah. Interesting mm. character. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you the actor that played. <laughs> I can't either. I could look it up if you want. <laughs> How are you going to rate and grade all about Eve? We have Rocka. Gary, Gary Merrill. Okay. Uh, refresh, new year, new listeners. Uh, it's all about whiskey and bourbon. Uh, so we have Rock Cut, which is just very terrible bourbon, very terrible films. We have Well. Uh, Wells, what you can get at a bar if you want the Well bourbon. It's usually like Jack or Knob Creek or Maker's Mark, and it's like three, four dollars. But you get a nice mixed drink there. Throw a bucket of popcorn or a coke with it, and maybe you can get it down. There you go. Calls middle of the road, like uh, could be something like 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 this. Uh, under forty dollars, thirty to forty. Basil uh, Hayden. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. It's. I okay. might. I'm eh, maybe. Maybe. Call Plus is a Basil Hayden, I think. Okay, I'm with you. And then your single barrels is totally unique. It's a uniquely made bottle of bourbon. It's going to taste different than the other single barrels, much like those films are going to be in a space all themselves. And then the top shelf, the best of the best. The best, most expensive bourbons, the best tasting ones, the best cinema we have to offer, in Mm. our opinion. Mm -hmm. Where are you going with All About Eve? Call. I think you have to be careful, and I've been pretty hard on Ann Baxter, it might be that, as you said, I didn't really know much about her before or after this film. Maybe this was a part that nobody wanted because to play the climber, yeah. to play this kind of a awful woman may not have been the best way to typecast yourself in Hollywood in 1950. Sure. We talked a lot about way back in Dublin Dimity, the chance that Stanwyck took with Felix Dietrichson. Yeah. 
to her credit, her name was bigger than that. And Baxter's name isn't. So and it sounds like to me, you were going to go through who passed on what roles. Cause you brought up the Stanwick thing earlier. So mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see who passed on this and why it went to her. But for a movie that's titled all about Eve, which would then by definition be a character study. Cause her name is in the title. Yeah. I think it's pretty shallow when it gets to the development of that character, save about two to three scenes. Yeah. That being said, I didn't hate it. Um, we talked kind of where in your first viewing and my first viewing, yeah. how I said, this is kind of a long watch and I'm not totally. We hadn't even finished it. We hadn't even finished it yet. Yeah. I didn't love this. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever want to see it again. Yeah. There's no piece of this other than George Sanders bits. And as much as I love him, um, I'm not going to go back and rewatch this film for him. I'll just watch Rebecca. Cause I like it more. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to do it again. I'm really puzzled how this beat what it beat for 1950. Um, but that being said, I can't sit here and tell you this is a terrible film. It's oh, yeah. to me, it's just a 1950s kind of run of the mill drama, rot drama. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of where it is for me. If I'd say rot drama, just drama. I think I will go call plus single barrel minus. Wow. The second viewing really helped flesh things out a, a little bit more. And a lot of it was like, you know, I was having the problem kind of you were. I was, I was like, I can't remember the scene that came before the last one. And man, all these men are like, I can't tell this husband from that one. And what the hell's going on here? And that this second viewing really helped just kind of clear things up a whole lot. I could see more of like the character motivations and the manipulation was just a, a little bit more on point. But I think a single barrel idea, I think there's like a really good, like, like you said, meat on the bone here of like, there's some stuff to play with here. It's just, it kind of comes across the finish line in a call plus kind of way for me. Um, now I'm with you. I'm glad I finally saw it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm probably not rushing back to rewatch this one, but oh man, if I could just play devil's advocate in heaven blockbuster, this in a more capable director's hands with the uh, more interesting cast. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine Hitchcock with Marilyn Monroe as no. Eve? Oh, like that. Like, mm. Even behind the scenes, that would have just been like mind blowing. Like, you would, if he, and if he, he would have rolled Monroe, on her too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if he couldn't get her, just go with Novak. Yeah, I mean that's kind of a Monroe like character anyway. He was the, the, he was there. Yeah, I mean this this doesn't feel like a it at times it does feel suspenseful, so it does kind of feel like a Hitchcock film, but it's not like a horror film. Mm-mm. But like, I would love to have seen what he would have done with her character to like really flesh her out as this sociopath because that's what she is at the end of the day. She's she's bad shit, man. Yeah. Uh, I think in other directors and writers' hands, I think there's something here. And I don't know if Mank, man, this is just like a Mank thing. Maybe we're not Mank guys, man. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> you might be around it. Yeah. I mean, that might be it. Yeah. But yeah, I like for his, 19... I like his son on Turner Classic. But <laughs> yeah. Is that Ben? Is that this Mank's son? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben Mankowitz? Mm-hmm. I do too. Uh, but yeah, it's just for me. I think there's a good idea there. It's just. It was too long. Like, it's just, and that's just me right now. I got a big vendetta against over two hours yeah. and 10 minute movies right now. Like, I just like, I'm coming after you hard. Yeah. Like, I needed this thing to be like 145 and get to the point and just be more manipulative. And then yeah, you might be getting into top shelf with me. So that's been a thing for you and me, whether it's this or film too, in the art of TV, that's, you have nine episodes, you have enough content for four. That's a thing. Like, know your story. And by that, how long do I need to tell it? Yeah. Well, I guess on the good news front, uh, the runtime for Ant-Man Quantumania came out, and I think it was 2-8. That's reasonable. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's good. Mm-hmm. 
Man, if that thing was like, we're two hours and 15 minutes, I was like, God, two hour and 15 minute Ant-Man movie? You guys crazy? Mm-hmm. So we, we got that going for us. Good. <laughs> Good. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. And then you get Bernard Herman to do the score for that film too. Yeah. Oh man, you're onto something. Maybe you get George Sanders in there, but then in one of those roles, maybe find a part for Cary Grant as one of those husbands. I was going to say Stewart or Grant as one as Bill. I don't know, Matt. We might be like crafting the best movie that never, never got, got made. made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Uh, this film did win the Oscar for best uh, screenplay adapted from this story. Uh, and if you read about it, it's often thrown around as one of the best screenplays of all time. It may be on the page. I mean, maybe that's why it got made, too. It just, like, read really well, right? Mm-hmm. Zanuck was just, like, green light that film because that sounds great. Uh, my nightcap to you is top three screenplays that didn't win the Oscar for best screenplay. It's your number three. Kind of includes everything. So this is a list that would change an hour later if I wrote it now. Mm-hmm. Number three for me, checking in the Terminator. Ooh. I think... Uh, the latter iterations after T2 of what that franchise became sort of ruined what it was initially, but the idea of Skynet and this very dark dystopian future that shot the grainy way with <coughs> a truly tough villain that had to take significant lengths to figure out how it could be destroyed because nothing worked. That's a lot of time yeah. off the page in your head concluding What's the way to do him? And I guess all that's left is crush him because that really is about all that's left. You can't burn him. You can't blow him up. Yeah. It's got to be crushed. And then to take that in a way and let your female protagonist, right, Ridley, but not Setakana. Yep. Champion that with a busted leg and um, a wildly entertaining film. I think that might be top 10 science fiction of all time for me. It's great. I love the first one. I love the second one. Yeah. It's just, can we talk about Mr. James Cameron just briefly, real quick? Go. Uh, whatever you think about the new Avatar, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> we saw it. <laughs> yeah, I saw it too. Uh, that movie's about to cross $2 billion worldwide. Yeah. James Cameron is about to have three of the top five highest grossing films of all time. This, this, and this, that, and, and Avatar 1 and 2 and Titanic. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, well, I was going to say, what do you think about that? I was like... What can you say? The guy makes palatable films that people want to pay money to go see. Yeah, the what we call the four quadrant, right? Mm-hmm. And spades. And, I mean, I mean, this film, Way of the Water, is a sequel, but, like, the other one, it wasn't based on, like... Yeah, it takes from other things, but it wasn't based on anything. Like, Avengers Endgame is based on Marvel Comics, right? Mm -hmm. Star Wars The Force Awakens is the seventh sequel of a long-running popular... There's something to that. Sure. The guy knows how to get butts in seats. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, well said. (laughs) Okay. Uh, My number three, Reservoir Dogs. I mean, Tarantino, he's won twice for Pulp Fiction and... Django Unchained, did he win for Once Upon a Time? He might have three. 
And how he won for once upon a time in a film that no one talks in is beyond me. Mm-hmm. I'll double check that stat. But his first screenplay, I think, is something that really just set the industry ablaze, right? Is that indie, that opening scene, right? Of talking mm-hmm. about nothing, but talking about everything. Introducing characters in this interesting way. And they're talking about Big Dicks and Madonna and Like a Virgin and Not Tipping and Toby Wong and Toby Chong. It's genius. Go back and listen to our episode on Reservoir Dogs. We were very high on Tarantino in that one compared to his other films. But I don't even think that film was nominated for anything. So uh, Not safe at all. Not safe at all. Rough, violent, raw. uh, Kind of perfect. uh, Jumbled heist film that you don't see the heist in. Mm -hmm. There's something there as well. I would love to have seen them at least nominate that screenplay. Be brave. And, and they would the next year with uh, Pulp Fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Good choice. That was somehow more palatable? The Gimp was more palatable than a a, high, a violent heist? This watch was so far up his ass. Yeah. That, scene, that seems so good. It is. It's number good, two. Good choice. Thank you. Uh, number two for me. Memento. The coloring, the ability to have such control over your story that you can tell it forward and backward at the same time and somehow make it meet at the end and not in the middle. And to put your audience in a position like the protagonist, who's also the antagonist in this film, who cannot remember anything because you can't remember anything because you're so fucking confused. Christopher Nolan in what I would consider his Reservoir Dogs moment. Um, that's number two for me, Memento. Great I think that's a, it's a hard read. But oh, of course, I, I I've never read it, but like, yeah, it's a hard read. how did yeah, how does it read all over the place? Yeah, nominated didn't win. Nope. We got to do when Oppenheimer comes out. We got to do a little Nolan thing for we, sure. We got to do like that Inception and then Oppenheimer. Like that would be great. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, love it. Number two for me. You name dropped it on the podcast already today. Mm. Surprisingly, Sorry, yeah. it's Sullivan's Travels. Really? Yeah. How about that? Preston's, that's number two. Yeah, Preston wow. Surge. I would love to do that film one day as a comedy that's slightly melodramatic. The story, real quick, people, is it's Joel McRae plays this writer director who's looking to like make a movie that isn't just for shits and giggles, right? He wants to make a real hard hitting American film. And so he wants to adapt this book, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But in order for him to do it authentically, he needs to go on the road and be a bum for a few months. And he brings Veronica Lake in tow, and she kind of gets, he's this aspiring actress. And what he finds out there is like very emotional for him. It's very cathartic, and he finds his place in the world that isn't the film he was going to make. Yeah, There is a purpose for comedy and for laughter. Uh, I think that film is hilarious. I think it's poignant. And 1941, man, we're like right in like World War II territory, man. Like that movie needed to like hit a bunch of boxes. Mm-hmm. Preston Sturgis for me is a very underrated auteur of comedy that I never hear anybody talk about that guy. Yeah. The Lady Eve. Yeah. Speaking of Stanwyck, right? Mm-hmm. So... That's my number two. I, I I really, really like that movie. That would be a great, if we did, still did single barrels, that'd be a great single barrel to do mm-hmm. or one shot. Um, yeah, we There's a lot to talk about. I mean, we could build it. Like, it could be a road trip movie. There's a road trip. Yeah, there you yeah, go. There's yeah. different things, but yeah, that's a different film. Yep. Different hard film, yeah. but funny. 
satirically funny. It's very, it's very, it's slapsticky at times, but then mm-hmm. like at the end, it's like, oh my god, like holy shit, yeah. What am I watching? Like, right. yeah, there you go. Okay, number one for me. You just name dropped it. You just name dropped it. Oh, I did. It's Inception. Nice. That screenplay to have that layered story and each one of the layers being more interesting than the other as we go deeper, deeper into the dream and to play with people's ability to differentiate between what's dreaming and what's reality and then to weave in this fucked up romance too with Maul, French for evil, yeah, you essentially weave a film noir into it at the same time. It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, she is the femme fatale, and it is a heist movie. Yeah. Um, I think that's Leo DiCaprio's best film. I mean, that's his best film, and I think that's my favorite Nolan film. That's a movie that I'm probably 13 to 15 viewings in. Every time I watch it, I enjoy it more than I did the first time or the last time. And the screenplay... Again, for me, it's about control of story and knowing your characters well enough that you can play with them in that space and not lose them is such a such a fine, fine, fine art. I also know why you like it as well. A great choice. Like you're speaking to my heart. I know. You, yeah, you, you love know it. how much I love that the man and that film. Would you before you sit you say? Yeah. Would you consider Nolan yeah. a great screenplay guy? Because I at this I, point I think we have to. I think so. Uh, he gets he gets knocked down sometimes by critics for like his stories not having or his characters are really cold and this and like and i just say whatever to that like i think the guy can craft a pretty interesting story and layers it in very different ways i mean look at dunkirk was yeah this war film shown from three different time perspectives that somehow like all combined by the end of the film yeah sorry i cut you off you're gonna say something i know why you like it as well too because like it's a team film yep and everyone has a role a role you like yeah you we have, talked about you, that a time or two you have we? the chemist you have tom hardy's the muscle mm-hmm. joseph gordon levitt's like he's like like the fall guy uh ariadne's the architect like everybody's got a purpose in there right mm-hmm. great choice to we, make ellen page palatable too is quite an act because i can't <laughs> stand her juno but yeah yeah well let's just say that now when Oppenheimer comes out, let's we'll do that. Let's do, do Inception. Let's do Memento. Like, Memento, Inception, I, Oppenheimer. I think that will be great. To that. To Cheers that. on that. Oppenheimer's not till summer, though. July. Yeah, we got yeah. some time. Yeah. Great choice. My number one. Thanks. Was nominated. Would never win. It's too much of a genre Was film. Inception nominated? It was. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Didn't win. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Nolan's never... He was nominated for two screenplays, director that year for Inception. He's He's never won anything. Too, not safe enough, right? It's too weird. Yeah. It's genre sci-fi and genre psychological thriller. Like, we hate those films. Hate them. Yeah. We like rot slumdog millionaire dramas. <sighs> and, and I think, talking about Nolan real quick, and we can mention this at some point in this cast, The Dark Knight drastically disrupted the way the Academy did Best Picture. They went from five in 2008 to 10 in 2009. And it's because there was no place for this genre superhero film amongst the reader, Slumdog Millionaire, (sighs) Michael Clayton, which that's a good movie. Mm -hmm. But like, where do we put the Batman movie? Mm -hmm. Just put it in there. It's better than any of those other movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Soapbox, I'm off. Uh, My number one, it's Back to the Future. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Talk about a genre sci-fi piece that has just all the elements. It's exciting. But, like, we really get involved with that story, right? Yep. Marty trying to get back. But then also it's it's, it's a romance. It's like, I got to get my parents back together. Otherwise, I cease to exist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And I think that's where the film really operates well is in the 50s, is mm-hmm. him trying to get that together, and it's funny, it's emotional, and him having to play Johnny B. Good and then go back to time, and or we're going, we don't read roads, or need roads. I mean, it's a good thing that Spielberg got that screenplay and he was behind it, because I think that might be a tough read, but like on the page, that story is just... Super it high hits concept. all the beats, man. It, it's like it's it's Ghostbusters, and I think we did a screenplay piece when we did that episode too. Of like, mm-hmm. this is crisis, conflict, reversal, recognition, Act One, Act Two. It's all there. It's it, it's the perfect. It's one of the most perfect screenplays out there, and mm-hmm. I'm glad it was nominated, but it'll never win. Good list, yeah. Six pretty damn good films. Honorable mention. I have a couple too. I I really wanted to put Rocky in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. And we've talked about Stallone in that very personal screenplay a lot. Yep. I want to throw a little shout out to Empire Strikes Back too. I mean, that's how you craft a sequel up the stakes through character and story building and leave us hanging and wanting more. It wasn't even in the conversation. Nope. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned one of mine, obviously Rocky. We've talked about that film to death. I didn't want to do it. I would have chosen the apartment, but the rule was it couldn't uh. have won. That did win. And then... Uh, Ghostbusters, we did a whole show that essentially is how to write a screenplay via Ghostbusters, and that just seemed a little too self-serving. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything recently that... Um, okay, so not not screenplay. We talked about this last night. Everybody's got to take a minute and just sit down <coughs> and recognize <clears throat> the genius of what I think the hottest property in Hollywood is that's not actor right now, and he actually does act too. It's Taylor Sheridan. If you have not done Tulsa King yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's awesome. I think everybody that has seen Yellowstone is on board. So you've got Tulsa King. You've got Yellowstone. You have two spinoffs from Yellowstone. So now we're four deep. Then you have Mayor of Kingstown. And we haven't even started with film stuff, which you did last night. I'll give it to you again. Well, both Sicarios, Wind River. Uh, Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. I mean, look at the guy's in it killing it yeah killing it yeah to have five episodic television shows going at the same time and those five are all going right now mm-hmm. and he has his hand in every single one whether it's running writing producing directing acting in occasion holy shit i know does taylor sheridan ever sleep probably not you're so busy you'd be so stressed out all the time there was a period where sorkin was on fire yeah this is a candle compared yeah. to sheridan right now definitely yeah man so uh, one more honorable mention, just because yeah. I, I revisited this around the holidays. Nominated, didn't win, wasn't ready for it. Uh, Whiplash, Damien Chazelle's screenplay. Mm-hmm. That thing is just perfection. God, how did I even think of that? Shame on me. Yeah, it's just, the, I what I really paid attention to this time, and I know we talked about it in our episode, but I, got, I just got to shout out again. Uh, Simmons is a monster. The abuse he puts him through, and, and it's that scene where he's auditioning the double time swing between the three drummers and he's just going through them like took the seat, did that. It's like, there's no pot of gold down there. And he's just abusing these essentially boys, right? Yeah. They're not men yet. And what I really appreciated about this watch through was Andrew miles tellers. I'm going all in and I'm going to turn into an asshole. I'm going to break up with my girlfriend and I'm going to do whatever it takes to be perfect. Yep. And it takes its toll on him. Like, it breaks him to nothing. 
And then Fletcher, Fletcher pulls the reversal on him at that thing. It's just, it's too good. It's too good. In the real world, Andrew's going back to get like a machine gun. And he's coming back and he's shooting up the auditorium. Mm-hmm. But what he decides to do with his weapon, which is the drumsticks, and do the best solo anyone's ever seen. Beat Fletcher to death. Is incredible. Yeah. Oh, God. It's Go watch Whiplash again. It's just, it gets, it's even better. So good. Than however we talked about it. Two years ago. <laughs> and I think I shouted out There Will Be Blood, and I have to include that as movies that mattered since 2000, and that would definitely be one of two. <laughs> There's probably a few more, but it's limited. Excellent. Well, Matt, do you want to... So, All About Eve, Best mm-hmm. Picture winner, 1950. What's the film that should have won that we're going to advocate for next week? Well, let, before we do that, let me ask you this. Did we get anything on the socials as far as guesses go? Uh-uh. Do you want to go through the list of all the other ones? It's uh, Born Yesterday. King Solomon's Mines. King Solomon's Mines. And uh, Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride. And the one we're choosing. Clear winner. Clear winner. Yeah. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Which in a lot of ways is not the safe version of some of the same feminine principles in this film we did this week. Yeah, this is an ageism film. Indeed. Just like this film, so. Yeah. But in a very interesting mental health space. (laughs) And a very self-referential way with characters that played roles, playing the roles of characters in this film. Yeah. Directors playing butlers and actresses playing. Yeah. 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 Actors playing has-beens that were has-beens. This movie is very aware of its time and space. I haven't seen this film in about eight years. I'm excited. Oh, my gosh. I'm excited to revisit it. And Billy Wilder. Who's he? Yeah. The only other time we talked about him, shame on us. Mm. Double indemnity. The apartment. Do we need to do the apartment yet? We've never done the apartment yeah, on we, this. We haven't done the apartment. We haven't done Lost Weekend. I want to do Ace in the Hole so bad. Oh. Uh, I want to do Some Like It Hot. I mean, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, we did Some Like It Hot. No. We haven't done Some Like It Hot no. either. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, okay. Billy Wilder, number two. Sunset Boulevard next week. Mm. William Holden. Gloria uh, Swanson, right? Yeah. Or yeah. not Stuart. Yeah. Swanson. Yes, Gloria Swanson. Yeah. Eric Von Stroheim. Can't wait to talk about this film. Uh, it's going to be a good watch. And then next week we'll reveal the next year that we're going to do. Uh, still undecided, but uh, we'll narrow that down for you. Sweet. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. <laughs> Cheers. I got to get going. I'm going to go move my way up the ladder, but it might just be uh, up the ladder to make some good barbecue that I do here at the house. So. You have a fireplace in this house? <laughs> no, I don't. Because I'll bring the fire and music. What? Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. All About Eve is property of 20th Century Fox, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Although I am going to Hollywood next week to make a film, do not think for a moment that I am leaving you. How could I? My heart is here in the theater, and 3,000 miles are too far to be away from one's heart. I'll be back to claim it, and soon. That is, if you want me back.